Hi everyone, and welcome to another exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology. Today, we will be covering the latest updates presented at ESMA Asia 2023, including the evolving landscape of cellular therapies in Asia, treatment options for patients with advanced acral and mucosal melanomas, novel ADCs in EFGR mutant lung cancer, and a potential new standard of care in urothelial cancer. To begin, we have Molly Lee from Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Hong Kong talking about challenges in the development of cell-based therapies across Asia. Currently in Asia, the landscape of cellular therapy is highly diverse. Uh, For example, countries like China has achieved quite a bit of success in developing cellular therapy with uh, one one CAR-T therapy having FDA approval and also another uh, CD19 CAR-T therapy, CATEVA, having NMPA approval. Other countries such as Japan and Taiwan have also years' experience in developing cellular therapy. However, all the other Asian countries are also inclined to either either are already conducting or attempting to conduct clinical trials with their own domestic cellular therapy products because of the potential of cellular therapy in cancer treatment. Of course, cellular therapy is still rather new uh, in the in the cancer treatment field, and we are facing a lot of these challenges uh, uh, challenges in terms of the drug development as well as the registration. So, regarding the uh, countries with uh, with rather limited experience in cellular therapy, such as countries in Southeast Asia, common challenges would include problems with the dossier uh, requirement and registration as most of these uh, 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 companies may be just uh, academic spin-off or clinical researchers with limited experience in preparing documents. Another key, experience, another key challenge is uh, the fulfilling the GMP requirement, which is obviously much more complex in the cellular therapy compared to uh, traditional uh, anti-cancer therapy. So the two potential solutions or what the progress in tackling these hurdles we have seen so far is the increased collaboration of CRO companies or CDMO companies, or they are providing a one-stop service solution uh, to oversee the whole drug development progress and as well as the value chain. Also, we are seeing the increasing use of uh, a closed automated system in development cell therapy, which may lead to a less uh, uh, less variability, as well as uh, less uh, clean room requirements ahead. The third challenge in uh, less developed countries will also include lack of the clinical experience for oncologists to deal with cellular therapy. And what we propose is to develop a cellular therapy service model with clear, uh, uh, clear protocol, as well as drop distribution according to different phases of cellular therapy to gain experience. The common other challenges that are faced by more developed countries, such as Taiwan and China, uh, and Japan, is that they also use a dual regulatory threat in terms of cellular therapy registration. In the country like Taiwan and Japan, cellular therapy can be registered either as a medicine product or a pharmaceutical product. If they are registered in the medicine product, they can actually be provided as a medical service to the patients without a high-grade clinical trial evidence or GMP requirements. Of course, this will increase the patient access to cellular therapy, but actually low, much lowers the pharmaceutical 
researchers as well as patients' incentive in joining clinical trials. So incentive is an issue, and for uh, the these governments are recognizing these problems, and what they are proposing is to have grant provide incentive for pharmaceuticals to conduct phase one to two clinical trials by providing them conditional or time-limited approvals for successful phase two clinical trial data. In terms of China, they are rather successful because of the strong incentive provided to the Chinese government, as well as the large drug market in, in China. But what is the big hurdle is that the high cost of the developed uh, T-cell therapy would still be a big limitation to the successful clinical uh, application to the public. Uh, the measures to reduce the cost have been actively investigated, including the utilization of AI, use development of uh, domestic raw material suppliers, as well as development of uh, allogenic off-the-shelf cellular therapy products are all the uh, potential measures that will increase, that will reduce the cost and actually improve the applicability to the wide public. So this is the uh, summary of the of, of the talk that I will go to present at the ASMO Asia Congress a few days later. Next up, we have Karen Seikerbike from UMC Utrecht, who discusses the role of immune therapies in advanced acral and mucosal melanoma. So at ESMO Asia, we will be uh, discussing the management of acral and mucosal melanoma, advanced acral and mucosal melanoma. We know that these in the Western world are really rare types of melanoma, accounting for only a few percent. But in the Asian population, their incidence is much higher, accounting for one third of the uh, melanomas for acral and one third for mucosal. We know that these uh, melanoma types are really difficult to treat. They usually do not have a BRAF mutation, they do not have a UV signature, they have a low mutational burden, so they respond poorly to, uh, for example, checkpoint inhibition and often do not have an option for targeted treatment. Uh, we've seen that for checkpoint inhibition, for example, in mucosal melanoma, we've seen that the response rate to uh, NTPD1 is uh, lower than 20%. For IPNIV, also the combination checkpoint inhibition, it's uh, about 35, 40%, but it's lower than in cutaneous melanoma. And therefore, other approaches have been explored. For example, uh, the use of uh, TKIs and uh, NGO. Uh, angiogenic uh, treatment. So we've seen a, a RCT, a Chinese RCT that combined chemotherapy with bevacizumab in this population. Uh, and it showed an improvement of response from 13 to 20%, still not too good, with progression-free survival of only uh, a few months. I think that maybe the most promising approach for these patients would be the combination of checkpoint inhibition and uh, TKI. Uh, and we've seen the phase one uh, study that was published recently in only a small subset of patients uh, combining exitinib with NTPD1, showing more promising response rates up to 50%. So we need to see if that holds true in larger studies. And at ESMO, uh, the annual meeting recently, we've seen data for TIL treatment for mucosal melanoma melanoma um, in PD-1 refractory disease. There was a really small cohort, but also with a really promising response rate of 50 
percent. So in summary, I think for mucosal melanoma, the efficacy of checkpoint inhibition is much lower than in cutaneous melanoma. The addition of a TKI might be beneficial. And I think that TIL might be promising uh, for the future for these patients. For mucosal, I think for April, it's, the, it's a similar story. So low efficacy of checkpoint inhibition. We've also seen that in our Dutch cohort. So the Dutch uh, melanoma treatment registry uh, response rates of up to 30%, so lower than in cutaneous. And also here, there has been a study combining uh, TKI with uh, anti-PD-1 and temozolomide uh, chemotherapy that looked really promising. Following on, we have Hidehito Horinuchi from the National Cancer Center Hospital in Tokyo outlining the results of the Phase 1b trial of osimertinib plus tesalizutuzumab viadotin in patients with advanced EFGR mutant CMET overexpressing non-small cell lung cancer. I'd like to share the final efficacy and safety update from a Phase 1b study of tesalizumab viadotin plus osimertinib in EGFR-mutated CMET overexpressing non-small cell lung cancer. Acquired resistance to the osimertinib is commonly associated with a CMET overexpression. Telisov is a first-in-class antibody drug conjugate, uh, especially targeting the CMET by monoclonal antibody ABT700 with potent microtubule inhibitor MMAE as a payload. The DAL drug antibody ratio is around 3. We have started with 1.6 mg per kilogram as leading safety management cohort and elevated up to the 1.9 mg as a targeted dose. So uh, we are going, going to provide, develop the, this drug in the 1.9 mg in future development. Patient with EGFR common mutation after one to two lines of previous treatment, including osimeltinib, are eligible. CMET expression was evaluated in central IHC immunohistochemistry using SP44 as antibody. In this study, CMET high was defined as having a sleep plus staining in more than 50% of tumor cells and CMET intermediate as to having a 25 to 49% of the tumor cell. As a whole, 64% of the patient has a, a CMET high status in this study. So I would, I'd like to explain the efficacy. The objective response was uh, 53% and uniform across the multiple important subsets, including the uh, CMET expression status. Disease control rate was 71% with median duration of response of eight months. Median progression-free was 6.8 months. As many of you remember that in ESMO 2023, Dr. Antonio Passalo presented a positive result from Mariposa 2 trial in patient after progressions of first-line osmeltinib in a similar situation. In contrast to the uh, medium, uh, in contrast to the medium progression-free survival by chemotherapy alone of 4.2 months, the combination of amibantamab plus chemotherapy showed 6.3 months, and amibantamab vazeltinib plus chemotherapy showed 8.3 months. 
Although with a small sample size and early phase trial, the combination of TELISOB showed comparable efficacy signal, and phase 3 trial, TELIMET non-small cell lung cancer all 3 will start soon. So I will wrap up my uh, talk about the toxicity management. Based on the payload and the target, neuropathy and edema were the most common adverse events. However, this combination was well tolerated. No DLT were reported, and grade 3 neuropathy was reported as 5%, not so high. In contrast to the Takisans and other MET-TKIs have the similar uh, toxicity, the emergence of these adverse events was relatively slower and able to be prepared and managed by the investigators. So based on this uh, efficacy and safety, uh, safety profile, I think that we have a very promising uh, future for this combination. And finally, we have Enrique Grande from the MD Anderson Cancer Centre Madrid, who will discuss the implications of the findings from the EV302 trial of infortimab vedatin and pembrolizumab in patients with locally advanced or metastatic urothelial cancer. Metastatic patients, well, the, the standard first-line treatment has changed. Um, we saw at ESMO in the plenary session, Tom Post presenting the data of the EV302 trial. In the EV302 trial, well, the combination of an antibody drug conjugase targeting nectin 4 which is called enfortumabedotin, in combination with a PD-1 inhibitor, pembrolizumab, demonstrated to be superior in everything, all the endpoints related to activity. Responses complete radiological responses, median progression-free survival, and the most important thing, median overall survival. Um, this is the first time that a phase three trial, something, some combination, some drug, is beating the standard cisplatin-based chemotherapy or carbo-based chemotherapy we have been using for decades in this field. I think this is something very exciting. I think this is a breakthrough in the field of metastatic urothelial carcinoma. Now, uh, with this new option, fortumapedotin uh, plus pembrolizumab, our patients, the um, how we are considering these patients in terms of palliative or maybe curative, you know, from now, uh, they can be considered in a long term, in a long term, because the median expected survival is around three years, almost three years. So you have a lot of things to do with these patients. And don't forget that around one third of the patients, they are achieving a complete radiological response. And the median duration of these patients in which the duration, the, the, the radiological response was complete, was not met uh, after a long uh, follow-up time. So I think these are very good news for patients. I think this new combination is practice changing and I think that uh, now we should start to talk about eligibility to receive enfortumab rather than eligibility to receive cisplatin. Cisplatin and carboplatin will be replaced from the first line treatment. Other thing is to talk about the access, to talk about the cost of these new combinations. I don't know in your country, but in a country like Spain, it's, it's going to be a pain to, to get the reimbursement for this new combination. Thank you to our speakers and to you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Podbean and Spotify, so we can continue to deliver our expert-led content directly to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology to join in the conversation and visit vjoncology.com for the latest updates in the field. Mm-hmm.